The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2017 New Year's Conference. More information about New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. Uh, so, uh, so a little introduction. Thank you for coming. Hopefully this is helpful. We'll see if it is or isn't. You guys can be our little test subjects on that. Um, but, so here is a picture. Is this going to work? This is a picture of me and my wife. So my wife, Ellie, um, beautiful, beautiful bride. She's awesome. Amen. Let's me see way more of Jesus. But we've been married just over seven months. And so I'm currently the campus director at the University of Northwestern, um, which some of you are here of. I've been on staff for a couple years, and I also attended Northwestern. I uh, was an elementary education major, if there's any in the house. Yeah, it was fun being the only guy in all my classes. Actually, it's awful. But... Um, was really, really good. So played football there and then came on staff, staff a couple years ago, I think, through the Lord, very clearly opening doors and shutting doors of not being a good teacher. So we'll see how today goes for you guys. But And then uh, my name's Harmon Squires. Um, as you can see, I'm single, and that's okay. Um, I actually really enjoy the single life. Uh, but I am on staff at Bethel University, uh, which is in Minneapolis as well, just down the road from Northwestern. I've been on staff for uh, about a year now, um, just less than that. Um, but I went to Bethel, uh, graduated with a degree in psychology, and then just as Nate said, through the Lord working um, and some open doors, I was able to come on staff. Um, and that's what we're doing here today. So um, before we dive into like the meat of our uh, talk, um, Nate's just gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna get in. Also, I wanna make one disclaimer. These pictures, it looks like we could have taken them at the same time, and Harmon was actually in that photo with us. It was two separate times. Yeah. Um, I just wanted, it wasn't like a weird, like, <laughs> friendship. They, they don't associate with me. Yeah, yeah. It, I want to make it distinct. We were at different times. But with that, I'll pray for us, and then we'll jump into this idea of significance and a lot of things that Moochie's been talking about. Um, but dear Heavenly Father, um, I mean, I feel frazzled up here. It feels like, um, what would you do through a first-year and a second-year staff guy who in some ways feel like they don't know what they're talking about, and, and yet your word is sufficient. And so would um, your word speak to these students? Would unhelpful things that we say be quickly forgotten? But say, would you um, engage the students? Would they stay awake? Would they feel excited to hear more about you and what it means to live a significant life? Um, and would Jesus be proclaimed, and would he be um, so well proclaimed and so loved by this room? And so... Um, thank you for this time. Would you, Spirit, be here and open ears and speak through us? So I pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Uh, so before we um, talk about significance, we just want to give a big uh, gospel disclaimer uh, from the front. And uh, we really want this time, this whole conference, to be saturated with the gospel. And that's why we want to uh, share it now, because that is what our identity is. Our identity is in Christ. Our identity is in what he has done for us and nothing of what we do. Um, so our significance doesn't come from what we do, but our identity is in Christ. Salvation does not depend upon any of like the practices or practicals that we'll talk about. Salvation depends upon your trust in God and what he has done for you, how Christ came down to earth and he lived a perfect life that we could never live 
and he died the death that we deserve on the cross, but he rose again and he conquered death and he conquered sin and we can have life with him. Uh, so just remember that as we're going through it, um, that the, the works of the Lord um, that a Christian can do are evidence of a changed life. They do not lead to a changed life. Um, that's just what it says in Ephesians 2, that it is by grace you have been saved, um, not by works. It's by grace you have been saved. And then also um, in Galatians 2, um, verse 21, it talks about how uh, we do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Uh, so we want to just acknowledge that Christ did die for a purpose, that he died so we could have his grace. Um, and that's where all of these things flow out of, from that understanding that God loves us with a perfect love that we could never earn. Um. So hopefully this is a little interactive throughout. We have some little demonstrations and other stuff for you guys. But first, I want you guys to take a couple minutes, and you don't have to take notes, you don't have to do any of that stuff, but it might be helpful to write it down. I want you to think of, um, so I know you're college students, but way forward, the end of your life, what would define your life as a success? Like what things would happen or what would be present where you would say, that was successful? Um, some people would phrase it like, what would be written on your tombstone that you would look at and be like, that's that's okay. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes just to think and write down, but what would be a success in your life? Should have gotten some music for this, but I don't need that. I'm not going to sing. No one wants that. Maybe another 30 seconds. All right, well, we have a little bit of a smaller room. I'm going to see how bold you guys are. I would love for a couple people to be willing to share. And I'm not looking for just necessarily the Christianese answer, even though it might be like what you think. But like, what would, what would define success? What would you look back and be like, that was a life worth living? Yeah, Josiah. To have a brand like, let's say, Apple or Walmart named after you, and you <laughs> worship like Walmart employees worship Sam. <laughs> yeah, Sam Walton, dude, the man. But, uh, but yeah, this idea of a big company of success. Um, no, that's good. Yeah, other thoughts? Successful marriage. Okay. Getting married. I mean, Paul and Sam were just talking about, but yeah, getting married and having a successful marriage. Yeah, that's good. Any other thoughts? For those of you who missed it, Aaron Cron is the official judge of looks, and so he he will rate speakers on what they look at. So yeah, but to to be physically attractive, I think that's a goal. A lot of people. I mean, as you get older, it's probably going to get worse for you. I'm just going to be honest. But um, I was going to go off what Greenier said. But to have like uh, a successful family, to have mm. generations that carry on your name, your legacy, and I feel like that's kind of like an old-fashioned thing too. But yeah, something that's very real still. Yeah, your 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 future generations will look bad and be proud of grandpa or great grandpa or great grandma. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a lot of different things. And I looked online to try to find some. I tried to think of my own life. Um, but different things I found of so money, I think similar to what Josiah said, getting all those zeros in the bank account and leaving this large legacy or inheritance for, for the future. Another one I thought of maybe appeals more to the men, but to be respected. That my tombstone would say Nate was respected by those who interacted with him. Um, I also had, let's see what else, social media likes. It's becoming much more prevalent in this generation. Like, how, liked, how well liked was I? How many friends did I have on Facebook? Were my Instagram pictures cool enough? Was I independent? Did I move away from home when I could? And did I have my own job, my finances, and my life together? Um, was I intelligent? What was my ACT score? Did I get a doctorate? Was, did other people come to me for advice? Um, was it an athletic achievement? Was it being well-liked, um, having it together? Maybe it was body image. And like, was I considered, especially I think women and men more and more today, but was I beautiful? Like, did people, when I walked by, did people just say, wow, like, that's a special person and getting attention from that? Or maybe it would be other things like, I know for so many people in here and myself, did my father approve of me? And maybe I wouldn't want that on my tombstone, but that would be, I would be significant if my dad finally said, yes, my son, I approve of who you are. I approve of what you've done. Um, and, and in all of these things, I think I feel attention. And we're talking a little bit about what culture says significance is because I want to talk about what the Bible says significance is. But there's this tension of, well, I love these things too much. And I don't want to say goals are bad. I don't want to say a family, marriage, any of these things are bad. But if this is ultimate, it's going to leave you so empty. And it can't be significant. We're going to get a demonstration. But a marriage that can only last for 80 years isn't significant in the grand scheme of life. Um, and so I think often we think we love these things far too much. Um, it's like, well, I just love uh, my wife way too much, and she's the idol, she's the problem. Um, but C.S. Lewis says it a different way in his book, Way to Glory, that I think is really, really helpful. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so even in laying out what we want to do for you guys today and discuss is, man, I think those things are good, but they're so small. They're created things. We want to point to the creator, because otherwise we're living a wasted life. Um, like personally, I think the most clear this ever came out, does anyone fish in here? Enjoy fishing? Just a handful, so sorry for the rest of you. It doesn't feel like it relates. I love fishing more than anything else except my wife and a few other things in this world. I think it's so fun. But anyways, growing up, my dream was catching a 40-inch northern. And for those of you that have big teeth or whatever, they're fun, they fight a lot. But that was like year after year, it was like it was a successful summer, depending on how close I got to that goal. Because that's kind of like once you get to trophy standards. And so my senior year, I finally um, ended up, well, I missed one that would have been over 40 inches, jumped by the boat, went underneath, got off, and I felt like someone stabbed me in the heart. <laughs> And my sister tried to comfort me, and I was like, get away from me, you're the worst. But um, I ended up catching this fish uh, probably later that day. So it was a 42 and a half inch northern. I wish I had the picture for you guys. Honestly, it burned up when my house burnt down, so sorry about that. But it was just this crazy feeling of I finally caught this fish, this goal I had worked for for years. And I remember holding this fish 42 and a half inches. It shattered what I was going for, and I couldn't smile. Like, I couldn't force myself. I was sitting there, and, like, I wish I had the picture because it was just so evident of, like, why is his smile? He looks weird. And not, like, just 
all of Nate looks weird, but the smile. But it was, I remember it being so disheartening of, I thought this would feel so much better. And I think it also hit me like, man, at the end of my life, if what was written on my tombstone is, Nate caught a 40-inch northern, what a sad life. Like, what a waste of what God's given or potential or anything else. And so um, there's a lot of other people, I think, who have experienced, hopefully you all have a situation or a achievement where it's felt that way and you might be like well Nate well 40 inch northern isn't significant we don't really care about that I'm like I totally get it um but there's a guy who's a little more successful than me I think in the world so those of you who've heard of Tom Brady many of you have seen this clip but a similar of a guy um who's won three Super Bowls has done everything kind of imaginable has this drop dead gorgeous wife is making tons of money super successful um and this is his interview with uh 60 Minutes uh, from a few years ago. Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, is not only one of the NFL's best players, he's one of the NFL's best players. We lost the volume. Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, is not only one of the He's one of the NFL's great stories. You guys hear that? At the tender age of 30, he has already won three Super Bowls, an accomplishment that ranks him with some of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. And he's having one of the greatest seasons in pro football history. When we first reported on him back in 2005, he seemed underrated and almost overlooked. He doesn't have the arm of Peyton Manning, and he doesn't have tattoos, and he doesn't take steroids, and he's never held out for more money. All he knows how to do is win. It's what you always wanted. You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. In addition to his success on the field and his sex appeal off it, there is also the $60 million 10-year contract to play with the Patriots. I mean, I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. <laughs> but with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is, me, I thank God. It's gotta be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew, I wish I knew. And I think it's easy to yell, like, dude, it's Jesus, in a way. And hopefully in this this conference you would see that. But we want to demonstrate. I think part of why Tom Brady's struggling so much with this, I think Aaron Rodgers said almost the same thing earlier this year, another really successful NFL quarterback. Um, but as C.S. Lewis would say, they're living for mud pies by the sea. Like three Super Bowls is mud pies and junk compared to Jesus and what this is. And so hopefully Harmon's going to elaborate more on this. Uh, yeah, so when, when you think about this and living for significance uh, in a sense of eternity, like our life really isn't a lot. And just uh, a small demonstration to help you picture that, um, we're going to use uh, some, hopefully it shows up, some floss and a paper clip. Uh, and Keep in mind, though, we only had travel size, so this did wasn't nearly as good of a demonstration as we could. Yeah, so this class is actually supposed to go like all the way through like the foyer and stuff like that. But if if you imagine that like this floss is all of eternity, which this doesn't even compare to what eternity is, um, your life is smaller than that tiny little paperclip there. You're just a tiny little blimp 
in in the sense of eternity. Um, and the thing is, is that we have to ask ourselves, like, what do we do with that paperclip? What do we do with this mist of a life that we have? Like, is there anything that I can do that would be significant, that would allow me to have an impact? Um, and the reason that, like, looking at that paperclip is significant is because that's all we have here on Earth. Like, you can't take anything with you. You can't take the amount of money that you win with you. You can't, or the amount of money that you earn. Uh, you could win it, Powerball, whatever. Um, but you can't take those things with you when you die. So what type of significance can you leave on this Earth? Like, if, if we are mortal and we are going to die, what do we do with that? So um, we want to talk a little bit about that. So what we do with it is that we, first of all, have too small of a life. Our life uh, is too short. You might get uh, like 70, 80 years on this earth, but again, that's nothing compared to eternity. Uh, and there are so many people that live lives and don't have anything to show for it. Um, Tom Brady, he has five Super Bowl rings, but he still doesn't understand that there's Jesus. Like, you think about Hugh Hefner, who died uh, a few months ago, and the Playboy uh, design and whatever he built up there, that he just used people as roles, and he didn't see them as, like, souls, as people. Uh, he saw them as, what can I gain from you instead of what can I give to you? And that is just like a disgraceful legacy that he left of pornography and exploitation and all those different things. So these big name people, um, they have to know that there's something more. Tom Brady said it himself. Like there has to be something more out there, but they don't know what it is. Um, and the thing is, is that even though there's not a lot of years that we have here on this earth, we can still make the most of it. And by making the most of it with our short life, we can live a life of significance by giving our life to God and, and allowing him to use it for us. We want to live for something that outlasts our life. And we want to live for eternity and we want to live for people living as eternity. So how can you live if your life is a vapor? Um, looking about at James in chapter 4, um, verses 13 through 17, it says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So this we, we see that we are a mist. Like we don't know what tomorrow, <clears throat> we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't even know if we're going to wake up tomorrow and be able to experience the next day here on earth. Or if Jesus comes in the next 10 minutes, we don't know what's going to happen. And so many people base their significance in what this earth has to offer instead of what God has to offer and what he already has offered through his son. So in understanding our value and um, understanding that we are valued by God, but we need to have humility because we are just a blimp in God's eternity. 
Um, God is through all of time, and our lives here on earth are just a tiny little bit. So we should respond to that with humility. We have a short life, and we respond to that by praising God who gives us that life. And we, we think of ourselves um, more, when we think of ourselves more highly than we ought, that's not helpful. Uh, so we need to understand that what we have is a gift, and we should give it back to the giver. We should give it back to God. And this is a good question for Christians to ask, like, what do I do with my time? Um, because God has given us this time. Like, if God didn't want us to be here on this earth, we wouldn't be here on this earth. But he has given it to us, and to do that, we want to live a productive life for him, seeing more of him. And we're going to get into some more practicals about that um, in a little bit here. But also, in addition to having too short of a life, um, there's also too much at risk. And the biggest part about this is that um, we have to take our life seriously. Um, we have to understand that people are either spending eternity with God or eternity away from God in hell. Like every single person out there is a soul and they're either going to heaven or they're going to hell. Um, even at this conference, there, there are people that are going to heaven or to hell, like your families, your classmates, your roommates, uh, whatever it may be, uh, every single person has a soul that's destined to spend the eternity with God or separated from God. And I have a, a really um, personal example of this because um, when people die, they, are, they get to spend time in heaven or they get to spend time in hell. And my oldest brother uh, died in a car accident not trusting in the truth of God and of Jesus and the gifts that he's given us and the grace that he's given us. And that means that my brother is most likely in hell. I can't say for certain, but by the way that he lived his life, um, I'm assuming that my brother is spending eternity away from God. Uh, he is spending the rest of time, all of time, being punished for the sins that he committed here on this earth. Although he lived life up on this earth, uh, he had significance here. He uh, would go out drinking. He was the life of the party. He had all these girls around him. Uh, he had a job where he had plenty of money. Um, he was in the army, and a lot of guys in his unit looked up to him. So by a worldly standard, he had significance. He was looked upon as well, as likable, as, oh, this is the guy I want to be around. This is the, the fun guy. Um, but he was living for himself, and he died in a car accident. And what's left of that life? Nothing. Uh, there's, there's no part of my brother's life that has extended past his death because he was just living for himself. And that's not what we want for you guys. We want you guys to live for something that extends past your life. We want you guys to live for something more than just yourselves, more important, more powerful, more supreme, greater um, than your life. Um, because my brother's blip on the earth is done. And there's, there's not joy when I think about his death because I know that he's suffering torment in hell now. Um, there, he should be in eternity with God in heaven. Like That's what we want all people to do. We want people to trust in God and, and have that relationship with him. But 
there is so much pain that people are going to hell and that's what we have to realize that there is too much at risk that hell is very real and people are going there and that's why our life should not be lived for ourselves, but should be lived for god we should give back to the one who gave to us um so we want to live a life uh that does not focus on this world but focuses on eternity and focuses on god um through colton's death my brother's death um not only did I see more of God's love in my own life as he surrounded me with community and the acknowledgement that even though my brother is experiencing those things in hell, I know that I never will because I have trusted in Jesus and God has helped me to make that decision. Um, but I think about the way that like losing a brother for me was extremely difficult. But God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, willingly sent his son. My brother died in an accident. We didn't expect it. I didn't offer him up, but God willingly offered his son to die for us. Like, how significant of a life did Jesus live to die for all of us so that we could live through him? And we want our lives to be a small image, a small reflection of what Jesus has done. Um, we also want to know that living a comfortable life does not give significance. And that's the second thing I learned through my brother's death, that I was fine living the way I was living um, before my brother died because everything was happy-go-lucky. Um, I didn't realize how much at war uh, this earth is in the spiritual realm of souls are going to heaven or to hell. Um, but losing my brother, I saw very distinctly that people's lives are short. Um, they are a mist, they are a vapor, and once they're gone, they're gone. So we need to take advantage of the time we have here on earth uh, to share the good news with people and to share God um, with everyone that we meet. Uh, we get to partner with him uh, in telling the greatest story ever told, and we get to partner with the greatest being in the universe uh, to make him greater. A um, couple more thoughts on that. I don't know where everyone's at in this room, and some of you might be like, I don't even know if I believe this. And you're saying really offensive things about wasted life and, and pain and suffering. And we'd love to engage with that more. And this is coming from also a perspective of assuming that Jesus is Lord of your life. Um, but I think in what Harmon's saying and even summarizing it, as C.S. Lewis would say, of you've never met a mere mortal. Like the, if you just went to the food court, the person you bought your food from is living forever. Like they will live forever with forever, whether it's with Jesus or not. And in order to be significant, we have to focus on that eternal aspect or else we're missing. If you have all the friends, you never talk to them about Jesus, you're missing the entirety of what's happening. So um, it's going to be a little bit perspective change, but we're going to talk about how big of a God we have first. It might be like, of course, why are we talking about how big of a God we have? I think hopefully this first part of the section has, has clearly defined like we're small, we're vapors, we're light, like it's not that significant. I think what makes this life so much sweeter is how significant of a God we have. And so I'm just going to go over four quick passages um, that I think are so worshipful. And these aren't all of them. These are just like four of my favorites from other people who have, who have given to me and passed them down of like what a God we serve. I would challenge you guys, go find some for you. That would be like so significant in life altering of what a kind of a God you serve. So the first one, Genesis 1.1, quoted oftenly, but of expanding your view of God, hopefully, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I love to create. Uh, maybe that's part of more of my 
background as a man, everything else. But I think the most mind-boggling part about this is in the beginning, God. Like all of you had a beginning. You were born. You were brought into the earth at this certain point. And this is saying in the beginning, God, he always has been. There was no beginning for him. And so when he's calling you into existence, this is coming from a God who has been forever. There was no beginning. And my mind can't even begin to wrap around it. But it just makes me say, like, Lord, I want to worship you. I want to, like, um, learn more about a God who had no beginning. And I'm like, like, the creator of the heavens and the earth part through the word of his mouth is unbelievable. But we won't even focus on that that much. But in the beginning, God, he has always been. Um, Isaiah... 40, we're going to do the 40, 12, 1 first. Um, I think this is unbelievable. Um, so Isaiah 40, 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? So how big of a God do we have? We're just going to focus on one part of this. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Have any of you ever tried to fit as much water as possible in the hollow of your hand? Have you ever thought about it? Here, I'm going to waste some water. (laughs) And I'm an above average size male according to every standard. I'm maxed out right there. So I'm going to dump it out. Sorry, maintenance people. That is what I have, like less than a tablespoon. And what this is saying is God has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. And so I was just looking online because I'm like, well, what does that even mean? On earth right now, does anyone know how much water is on earth? For those of you intelligent people. So according to Google and all my my sources, there's 326 million trillion gallons of water, which is just like way too big of a number to even begin to, to realize how that is. And so I was like, well, how much distance is that? So if you took a cubic mile which means you have a mile wide, a mile high, and a mile long of water. So like a massive body of water. That would be 332 million cubic miles. So just start to, I mean, just start to realize what that is. And your God, the one who calls you into this thing, holds it in the palm of his hand. Like that should do something. If there is like dead feeling in you right now, I think... You're missing it. Like you're not getting what this God is who would take, he encloses the dust of the earth in a measure. He balances the mountains um, and he measures the heavens with the span, which everyone would say was immeasurable. And he's like, it's this big. <laughs> like that is your God. Isaiah 40, 26, unbelievable again. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. I think this is a gorgeous little notebook, and I thought it was so cool how they have all the stars on here. And even I was thinking, like, how would it work for Nate Van Zee to to name all these stars? Even just on this little pamphlet, it's like it's no chance. And yet, our God would, which I think all scientists would agree, it's like an infinite universe has every star named. Have you ever thought of he has every star in infinity named? And they cannot disappear because of his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And I promise you, you are worth so much more to this God than a star. Because a star doesn't have his genetics. It's not made in his imagery. And so the same God who made all of them, who keeps them all in their place, is the one who made you. In Hebrews 1.3, this has been my favorite verse over the last year. Um, 
But he is, this is talking about Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, I'm just going to focus on one little part again. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is saying that if he stopped actively speaking, everything would crumble. It would be destroyed. There would be nothing left. This hotel would collapse. The reason this pillar is standing is because Jesus is actively speaking. Not only did he speak to bring everything into existence, but he is continuing that tree outside. Minneapolis, um, Washington, North America, you can go on and on and on. The Marianas Trench, he is actively speaking or would all fall apart. And this is the God who has invited you in. This is the one who said, I have knit you together in your mother's womb. I have put you together perfectly. There was no mistakes. Um, and it's just such a sweet thing. I was sitting there earlier of what, answering the question from Muchi of what do I not feel? I'm like, I don't feel loved. And yet, there is this big of a God, by God. And there's this big of one who said, Nate Van Zee, I'm going to knit you together very intricately in your mother's womb and bring you together because I have a purpose for you. And it's not to catch a 40-inch northern because that's a joke, but I have something so much more that you would see. Um, eternity changed is, is what's happened both with my life and others. Um, which is an unbelievable thing. But that's our God. Just a little snippet. But I think you guys should go look for it other places yeah so we get to see how great our god is but then we also get to see that he invites us in um so that just expresses even more so like nate was saying the majesty of our god that he would knit us together to be for him um like it like that we get to be people that are granted the opportunity to work alongside god uh to help bring other people to him uh, to help other people understand more of how great he is. Um, it talks about this in Acts one eighteen that you will be my witnesses. Uh, you will tell people everywhere about me. That God doesn't say he's going to go and do it, but no, we get that opportunity to go and be his witnesses because he wants to partner with us. He wants to work in us and through us to show his greatness. Uh, in a way that only God could design, that only he could do, could call into existence in that way. Um, that this is an invitation and a command. It says, you will be my witnesses. So it's like, oh, you can be? No, it's you will be. So our significance comes from following God's commands and being witnesses, partnering with him and his greatness, and being able to worship his greatness in that. Another example of how he invites us in, uh, Muchi just talked about it in 1 Peter 2, uh, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Like, we are God's people. Like, our great God has decided that we lowly human beings would be his that he would decide to be us, and we get to proclaim his excellencies. We get to be a part of what he is doing on this earth. Uh, and then the last one, what I just love is in 3 John 1, 4, that there is no greater joy that we have than to see that our children are walking in the light. So one of the ways that we get to partner with God 
is sharing our joy and our love for him with others and seeing them walk with God and understand that he is greater. Um, and that brings significance to us because it brings significance to God and it is worshipful to him. So this is a grace that we don't even deserve. Um, we should live our lives like reveling in the majesty of Jesus. And that's such an incredible thing that we get because he is a great God and he allows us to partner with him. Uh, just a, a little bit of a understanding for me is that took me a while uh, to, to see this personal invitation that God sends out to each one of us. Um, my, freshman, my freshman year of college and even my sophomore year of college after I became a believer um, at summer training project, I wanted someone else to go and partner with God to take up that invitation. Um, I was fine living the life that I designed for myself, like Abby was sharing in her testimony this morning that it was Abby's life, or this was Harmon's life that I wanted to live out. But when Colton died, when my brother died, it, it showed me even more of that invitation, that, that God invites us in and we can be a part of his story, that I get to be a part of helping people to understand that when people die, there is a reality of hell if they're not trusting in Jesus. And I get to share the truth and the love and the grace and the utter compassion that God has on his people that he doesn't smite us right away, but there is grace that he gives to us. Um, and it shows us how much he desires us to partner with him, um, that there is joy in sharing with him and sharing of him with other people. Um, so we are not living for our lives, um, but we're living for something that will outlast our lives. We're living for eternity. We're living for God because he is all of time. This is, um, this is what um, Muji said last night, that there is nothing more significant than proclaiming the excellencies of God. So if you want to live a life of significance, proclaim God's, pro proclaim <laughs> God's excellencies and do it without a stutter but proclaim God's excellencies that's not true you can do it either way um, <laughs> proclaim his excellencies whatever way you do it um, but be truth about it be speak truth about it and use the Bible to to show that truth and um, a way it was put um, another another speaker put it this way that being significant is not about making ourselves impressive, but being impressed by God, and therefore accepting his invitation to help others be impressed by him. So don't try to be impressive. Don't try to live a life of significance where people look to you, but live a life being impressed by God, proclaiming his excellencies so that they will look to him and be impressed. Yeah, we're going to jump into practicals. Maybe right before we do that, I think one nuance again, we're not trying to say things in this world are bad. Like, I think marriage is awesome. It's been so good for me. Go get married. <laughs> like, we're not trying to say, like, all the things that you would do in this life are bad, but I think if they're not meant to glorify God, they're sinful. Like, it would be, I think that, it would, that would be the difference. And so get married, but as a way to see more of God and to proclaim Jesus. <laughs> don't, don't do it because you're finally going to feel loved and secured and you get that warm little fuzzy feeling inside because it's not going to satisfy. It's not there. Um... But go get coffee. Go do what, what stuff that brings you joy. Um, the idea of God gave good gifts. Use them. But they're all about pointing others to eternity and to God. So if it's pointing to yourself or other people around here, you're just missing it. The paperclip isn't very significant. Um, 
So a couple practicals, and we'll be done. Um, this has been Northwestern's kind of vision statement for this year, so I kind of snuck it in so the other campuses could finally be like us. But, uh, but abide with Jesus and share that joy. But this has just been kind of a simple statement that's been, I think, in some ways revolutionary of, man, you want to be significant? Spend time with Jesus. You can't get enough time with Jesus in getting to know the Savior and this one who holds the, the world in his hand and yet also loves you dearly and has a plan for your life. Spend time with him and share that joy. I hope it doesn't feel like a duty of, man, I went to the Nate and Harmon seminar and now I feel like I have to talk about Jesus. But I hope it's the flip side of my life was transformed. This is so sweet. It's so good. I can't help but talk about Jesus. And he just comes up when I talk and I can't even control it because it's so sweet. Um, I, th- I mean, even the people of, like yesterday we got in a car accident on the way here. And the guy I hit, Charlie, ended up getting time with him. And he shared the gospel with him. I'm like, praise the Lord we would get in an accident so we could share the gospel with an atheist. Like, well worth it. Um, hopefully next time I'm not driving or God would do it a different way. But um, I think it's true. But abide with Jesus, share that joy. It's awesome. Uh, so below that, and all of these are about abiding with Jesus and sharing that joy. So one of the ways that you can abide with Jesus is by reading your Bible. Uh, so hopefully throughout this conference you have time to wake up every morning and spend a little time alone with God, reading those verses, talking through those questions. And I know for me, sometimes it's intimidating to wake up like half an hour, an hour early to spend time in the Word. I'm like, oh, I want that sleep. But I can pretty much guarantee you that if you wake up and start your day with God, you're going to be more energized than if you got that extra half hour of sleep. And your day is just going to be look so much better because you're going to hopefully be seeing it through a gospel lens. Uh, so spend time in the Word. Um, do that alone. Do that with others. Um, find your favorite verses and memorize them. Know the Bible so that you can share it with others. Um, when they're dealing with hard things, let there be verses that you can share with them and things like that. Uh, get older people in your life. Um, I think this is one of the coolest ways God, I think God really speaks to us through his word. And I think through people and community. And it's been hammered in a few talks so far. But try if you don't have older men and women speaking to your lives right now, I think it's, not that you can't grow, I think it's harder to grow. I think the, especially men and women that are in the Bible walking with the Lord and seeing, so many things are caught, not taught. And if you have, if you're not watching anyone, you're not going to catch anything. And so I think finding older men and women that can really speak in, and not just to get good wisdom, so like, hey, so my dating relationship works out. I mean, what does it look like to be a faithful Christian? And get time with people you, uh, you respect and say, like, they walk with Jesus. And they share sin, and they walk through pain. And I want to grow from that and continue to do that with people other people as well. The next one is to be faithful uh, to where God has called you. So right now, that's college. That's being a student. I'm assuming all of you are students um, or something around that anyways. Um, So use your influences Use your classes, uh, if you live in a dorm, if you're on a sports team, use those things to share God, to share that joy. Um, Evangelize to your classmates. Talk about, oh, I went to this conference over New Year's and I saw more about Jesus and how he's greater. Can I tell you more about that? Um, Use what you've been given. Don't always be searching for the next thing like, oh, what am I going to do when I'm an adult and how can I serve God then and how can I serve him when I have kids or something like that. But use the time you have right now to serve and honor God and to love him in that. 
Um, for those of you who want maybe another resource, um, so read a book. We prefer the Bible. The Bible is like number one. I want to make that clear. But another helpful book by John Piper is Don't Waste Your Life. Uh, I think it's just a really cool view of even retirement. What would you do with your life? But how do you make it meaningful? Uh, pretty easy to read, but really helpful. Um, and so uh, I think in all this, if we're going to summarize it, and what we want you to take away is you cannot be significant trying to be significant for yourself. Like the idea of being significant is pointing to the only significant thing, which is Jesus. And that's the continual, I think, cycle of our lives of waking up, reminding ourselves that we need Jesus, getting over kind of the gospel amnesia, forgetting that, and then leading others to what does this look like to point to Jesus. So um, so we'll pray. Harmon's going to pray for us. But that's kind of the end. If you have questions, feel free to come up and ask. Um, and then you guys are free to go. So thanks for coming, and hopefully something was helpful. Um, if not, just forget it. Uh, God, thank you for this time. Thank you um, for the opportunity to see more of your greatness, God, and to realize that you are a God that holds the oceans in your hands, uh, but you use those very hands to knit us together in our mother's womb, God, um, that you are so powerful and majestic, but so kind and caring. God, and you invite us um, to be a part of what you are doing here on this earth, God, and what you are doing in all of eternity, what your plan is. God, I pray that we see you as the most significant thing, as the greatest thing in our life, God, and we desire uh, more of you because of that, God. We understand that we cannot be significant by ourselves, um, but when we point others towards you, um, that is the greatest thing that this life has to offer because you are the greatest gift. You sending your son and you yourself, God, um, is the greatest gift. So thank you so much. I pray that we can put these practicals uh, into practice, that we live them out in our lives and uh, we abide with you more because of it and we share more of our joy in you because of it, God. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at newyearsconference.com.